Time Out with Manu Kakopian. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Time Out with Manu Kakopian. Today, we are joined by mixed martial artist and UFC star Caitlin Chugakian. Caitlin is the number one contender in the women's flyweight division, and she has a big fight coming up February 8th in Houston at the Toyota Center against Valentina Shevchenko for the Women's Flyweight Championship. It'll be featured as the co-feature for UFC 247, which is headlined by John Jones and Dominic Reyes. And now we have Caitlin joining us. Caitlin, thank you very much. How has training camp been going? Uh, it's been going really good. Uh, to, actually, today's my, my rest day, so this is probably my favorite day of the week. But, um, but yeah, it's been going really good. I kind of just jumped right into this camp right after my last camp I fought on November 2nd and uh, at Madison Square Garden. And I kind of had a feeling, you know, because Valentina had it fought since the summer. I was like, okay, I have a feeling this fight's going to come up pretty quick. And, um, you know, a week after my, my last win, they, they gave me the contract and it was, it was about 12 weeks out, which is like for some people a normal camp, but you know, I could kind of, try to balance being like going from one camp to the other with not overtraining and resting, but it, it's kind of hard to rest a little when you know you have a championship fight coming up. No, absolutely. And, you know, you've you have, you have 15 career fights with a great record of 13-2, and two, but arguably this is the biggest fight of your career. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Since I started fighting, even, you know, even as an amateur, the – the whole goal is to become like a world champion, you know, even, even though it's a long way away when you have your one or two amateur fights, you, you know, that's the goal, you know? And then it's kind of like there's little baby steps and you go pro and then you make it into the UFC and then you make it to the top 10. And, um, you know, now it's the fight for the, for, for the title, but that was always my, you know, some people are happy with just kind of getting into the UFC and just saying that they are a UFC fighter, but um, for me, I, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to, to be a world champion. So kind of my whole life kind of came to this point. So it's definitely the biggest fight. Absolutely. And you've been fighting in the UFC since 2016. This, this will be your ninth fight in the promotion. And how, how has that ride been for you? I mean, you're going to be the co-feature to John Jones, who's arguably one of the top three, four stars in the sport, and you're going to be setting the table for that big fight with your big opportunity. Where were you when Dana White called you and, and you got this opportunity? Um, I think I was just uh, at the gym, and my manager knew I was at the gym, and he, he texted me and was like, okay, I got, got the confirmation. We kind of knew after my last fight that if I won, I would get the title, and so I wasn't completely shocked. You know, I just was, it was more of a, you know, a matter of fact of like when it would be. So, you know, he was just like February 8th in, in Texas. I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, like I was luckily after my last fight, I, I had no injuries. So, you know, going into my last fight, that's what I was worried about. I was like, okay, you know, obviously you want to win, but I was also, I wanted to win and not get any injuries so I could, fight for the title next because I knew that was coming up next um so yeah I was just kind of like I like I said I you know obviously you're excited and but I I knew it was coming so it wasn't like a total shock I think once I 
saw I signed my contract and then a week later once I saw it being announced on like even ESPN I think that's when I was like okay it's this is real now like let's do it I was super excited Yes, and and you mentioned that big fight in Madison Square Garden where you unanimously decisioned Jennifer Maya, and that was a, a pretty cool event for Armenians specifically because Edmund Shabazian was on that show as well too, and I know you guys got together as two of the premier Armenian MMA fighters in the sport. What was that uh, connection like for you, for you to both be victorious and holding that Armenian flag high during Mad- that Madison Square Garden show for UFC 244? Yeah, that that was an awesome experience. I think like since I've gotten signed with the UFC, like the support that I've gotten from from like all the Armenians has been like insane, and it just keeps growing and growing. And now, like you know, each fight I would see. You know, just like, especially like on social media, it's like so, it's so overwhelming the amount of support I get. And then having two of us on one card, it was just like, you know, even though like we had never met until that week of the fight, like when, when we met and I, you know, I met him and we were in the workout rooms at the hotel a couple of days prior to the fight, like just having that same energy, like with that energy, it just kind of felt like we knew each other. You know, like, like, it felt like the same as, like, my teammates being on the card, you know, my teammates that I train with all the time, and you just kind of have that camaraderie and get it, and it just kind of builds the excitement of the fight. That's kind of what I felt with with, um, with Edmund being on the card, and it was just kind of cool to feel that, especially when you don't really, you know what I mean? We didn't know each other, but we felt like we did. So that was, that was really cool to share that experience, you know, after weigh-ins, we got a picture together with both of us holding the flag and stuff, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, and speaking of that flag, I mean, I've been following you on social media for years, and you know, every once in a while, you do you, you post yourself holding that flag, and and I know that your your uh, culture and ethnicity is something you're really proud of. I mean, in your Twitter and Instagram bios, the the, the flag emoji is there. Um, what does it mean for you to uh, to be an Armenian fighter? Um, you know, if I if I'm being completely honest, I didn't really like you know, know how much that meant to me until I was in the UFC. I had already had seven professional fights and everything. And, um, but after my first win in the, in the UFC, um, that's when I really started, um, you know, on my social media, seeing like so many Armenian people, like new people following me and supporting me and just like always like sending me positive messages all the time. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like how much, like how much support I'm getting from, from everyone. And, you know, so that's why, like, I really try to, you know, show my support back and just like, it's my way of like, you know, showing my appreciation and like thanking everyone for supporting me. Cause some, you know, a lot of these people, they don't know me, you know, they've never, you know, never met me and they're supporting me so much, like more than, more than people from like my hometown. And it's just, it's just crazy. And, you know, it's really, it's a really nice feeling to have that. So I kind of, try to give back in any way I can to just show my appreciation. Yeah, and I've been a combat sports journalist for over a decade, and, you know, there's been a lot of Armenian fighters who have come through the ranks, uh, world champions, fighters like Victor Chinian and Arthur Abraham in boxing, and specifically in the MMA, um, 
Ronda Rousey was actually trained by Edmund Tarverdian, who's Edmund Shabazian's trainer. And once everyone found out that Ronda Rousey was trained by an Armenian, <laughs> she, I mean, if, if her fighting style wasn't alone, alone didn't let people like her, the fact that she was trained by an Armenian the, rallied the whole community around her. And, you know, uh, with you specifically being um, born in the East Coast, what was what was your upbringing like? Um, my upbringing, I was, so I grew up, um, right outside of Philadelphia in a suburb area. Um, my, so my grandfather was Armenian and, you know, I just kind of always, it's funny when, when Rhonda started, I don't think my grandfather, he's no longer with us, but when I first started MMA, like I did karate my whole life. And then, you know, I started MMA. I don't think he really understood like what I did. I think he thought I was still doing karate, you know? And, um, then when Rhonda became popular, she, you know, she would be on, my grandfather would be at home all day watching TV and he'd see her on like all the, you know, all the talk shows and everything. And he would be like, I remember that he's like, that, that girl, that Rhonda girl, you should go, you need to go train with her trainer. And I'm like, how does, I feel like he didn't know anything about MMA. I'm like, but he would see them on there. I'm like, well, yeah, why do you say that? He's like, well, he's a, he's a really good trainer and he's Armenian. You need to, you need to go there and train with him. And it was just so funny to like care of my grandfather who didn't really understand what I was doing. And, you know, once he found out her, her coach is Armenian, he was very, he was always like, you should go there and train there. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I just really, it's a shame, but, um, you know, I wish he would have been, would still be here now to like, he would just be like obsessed and love like to see all the support that I'm getting from Armenian culture. He would just like, you know, he would love that and go crazy over that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, growing up, like where I grew up in a small town there, I didn't know one other Armenian person besides like, you know, our family, we didn't, um, you know, where I grew up was a small town, not super, super diverse or culture, you know? So, and then once I, went to college in North Jersey and then I was around New York city more. I was like, Oh, there's a couple more Armenian people. Like the place where I taught kickboxing at, there was an Armenian family and they told me they're like, Oh yeah, we go to this Armenian church. I was like, really? Like I just didn't, wasn't exposed to all that different culture. And um, yeah. And then when I, like I said, when I got signed to the UFC and people started like, you know, reaching out to me and, you know, it's kind of, made me and my, my older brother were, were very close and he's like we need to like we need to go to Armenia we need to learn more about our culture and stuff and you know once I'm once I have some free time with fighting I think we, we definitely want to do that just because now we have access and with social media and the internet it's so easy to to have access to where you can learn about your culture and where you came from. Oh no absolutely and you know you mentioned that east coast uh, upbringing I was born and raised in Los Angeles. My Both of my parents are from the actual country of Armenia. And, mm-hmm. you know, in Los Angeles, there's over a million Armenians. So it's like you you walk, you go to a grocery store, you go to an event, you go to um, down the street, your coworkers. I mean, the touch points with the community are very easy to be had. And, you know, there's, little, there's a town called Little Armenia. And, you know, Glen- yeah. Glendale is the number one populace outside of the actual country of of a concentration yeah. of Armenians. Have you ever been to Los Angeles to get a, a feel for the for the Armenian community here? Um, no, I had been there like years ago when I like when I was in high school, but I, I, I didn't um, 
you know, we were always like, we should go there and go try it. We want to go, me and my brother are like, we got to go there and like try all the restaurants and everything and just see what's going on. I know in, um, and recently I found out in Queens in New York, like once a year, they have like an Armenian festival. So I'm going to definitely be sure to check that out this year. Yeah, you got to talk to UFC Brass. Next time there's a show in Los Angeles, you need to tell them I need to be on that one because yeah. I'm pretty sure the the turnout and the support, you'll you'll see it because um, there was other fighters back in the day, Garo Parisian, I don't know how familiar you are with you know UFC yeah. history of yesteryear, but yeah. you know, fighters like Garo Parisian and Gerard Musasi and Manny Gamburian, these were all these were all guys who kind of paved the path for for this next generation of fighters. You know, Edmund Shabazian, he grew up training with those guys as a kid, and you know, he was Ronda Rousey's sparring partner, and, and here he is now. But you know, back to you, Caitlin. What specifically made you want to become an MMA fighter? Um, so when I was a kid, I you know I did karate, I did taekwondo. Um, just kind of how, like, you know, I started when I was four years old. I had my older brother did it. So I was kind of like, whatever he did, I wanted to do the same thing. Um, and, you know, just started it off for like how most kids do just kind of for self-discipline, uh, coordination and, you know, just started that. But I, um, I think most kids, a lot of kids, when they're young, they start karate for, they do it for like two years and then they kind of find other sports that they like. And I definitely did other sports, but I stuck with karate and I like competed. And that was always like my main focus and in, in activities and sports that I did. And then from there, as I got older, I, um, you know, I got into kickboxing and I started competing in high school. I started competing in kickboxing. And then at the time when there wasn't that many girls, especially young girls that were doing it so when I was in high school I would compete against you know girls that were like you know, in their 20s 30s just because there was no there wasn't very many teenage girls I wanted to compete in fighting at the time um and then I started doing you know my trainer's like well you can do the golden gloves it's boxing there's going to be there's more girls that are signed up for that you know for boxing is a little bit more popular at the time and I was like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, just, it's the same thing. Just don't kick. And I was like, uh, okay. So I signed up for golden gloves and I ended up winning Pennsylvania golden gloves when, when I was 16. Um, and then in college I started, I always, and then in high school I started doing grappling, but more of like a self-defense type of grappling, not, not super serious jujitsu. So I kind of did everything like all spread out all together and, you know, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a professional MMA fighter, but I just knew I wanted to be keep fighting. And I figured, OK, I'll just teach at a karate school or kickboxing school and then I'll do that, you know. And I went to college where it was close to a place where I could train. That was basically like my main priority when picking a college is I wanted to be able to train. And in college, I did the New York Golden Gloves and I was competing in jujitsu tournaments. And then right after college, I was like, all right, I want to do MMA. I'm doing everything. Like I'm doing jujitsu and I'm doing kickboxing. Like I want to do MMA. And that's right around the time that, you know, women's MMA started taking off, you know, with uh, Ronda Rousey and being in strike force and then the UFC. So it was kind of, that gave me a goal. Like I was like, oh, okay, other girls are doing this. So that's cool. I can do it. But I at the time, I still didn't know it would be my career. You know, it wouldn't. I didn't know I would be able to make a living. I just wanted to do it because I loved it. You know, nowadays, like if girls are or guys are, you know, fifteen, sixteen, they see they can see so many. Like, go on Instagram and see all these like 
every single MMA fighter that's like doing this for a living and making, you know, that's what their, their job is. It's kind of like easy for them to see. But at the time I only, my only motivation to do it was because I love to do it, not because of making money off of it. I assumed I would be doing that and having another full-time job, which is why, which is why I went to college. And, um, yeah, I just kind of, from there, I just started getting amateur MMA fights and then started working my way up. And I, I'm really lucky that I got in and at the right time, you know, right when I started, it, that's when women's MMA started taking off. So it just kind of worked out for me. I got lucky in that sense. Oh, no, and, I, and you know, your your amateur background is, is very decorated, undefeated, and then you your only two blemishes are actually by split decisions so it's very disputed you can you you arguably have looked great in in a lot of your fights um now when you're talking about this being your career what was what was your dream job growing up and what when did you know that MMA is going to be the, your your ultimate way of making bread um you know, I think when, when I first got signed with the UFC, I was still, I was like bartend. After I graduated college, I was like, all right, um, you know, I need to be realistic. I want to do this, but if it's not going to work out, I need to need to get like a, you know, get a different job. So I went to college and then I was like, gave myself a timeline, like, okay, you know, by 25, if I'm not, I'll do this. I started bartending so I could work nights and weekends and then have all day to train. Cause if I was working nine to five, like all the pro fighters were training during the day. So I was like, all right, I'm going to bartend. I live near New York, so I can do that. Uh, I'll bartend on the weekends and nights and then I'll train all day. And if I'll wait, I'll do this for a couple of years. And by 25, if I'm not professional, then, you know, I'm going to change careers and then get a different job. I'll still train for fun, but you know, I need to, do something where I can support myself. And um, luckily at 25, I went pro and then I was like, all right, let's keep riding out. Let's see what's going on. And then, uh, and then I um, got into the UFC and like my first UFC fight, I was still like still bartending. And then after that, then I was able to be like, okay, I can, I can train all day. I can kind of make it through this, but if not, like I can pick up some shifts or do that. And then luckily it just kind of all worked out at the right time. But even in the beginning, I wasn't thinking that, all right, like when I was in high school or college, like I never thought, oh, this is going to be my career. I kind of just grew up in the gym and saw like my instructors and other people, like all the instructors at the gyms were teaching classes all day and then they were trained at night and can and compete on the weekend. So I kind of just thought, you know, it's not a super glamorous life, but that's what I like to me. I was like, oh, that's so cool. You get to teach all day then train which is fun and and just compete on the weekends like that that's what I want to do you know even if it wasn't like at the time you know you're not getting paid that much for kickboxing but if you get to do what you like that's awesome and I just that's kind of what I saw myself doing and then um like I said luckily it, it started getting more popular as the years went on for me now uh for those who might not know where are you currently living in training um, so right now I, I live in Long Island, New York, and I'm kind of a gym gypsy. I train all over New York and New Jersey. I train um, mostly at Henzo Gracie in, in New York City. And then um, I also train in South Jersey with Mark Henry and at, uh, Nick Catone's gym. That's like, you know, Frankie Edgar, um, Zabit trains there, uh, now Cody Garbrandt and uh, Eddie Alvarez. 
that's where, because I was living in New Jersey for until about a, two years ago, and then I moved to, me and my husband moved, bought a house in Long Island, so I kind of go back and forth. I go to New Jersey twice a week, and then the other days I go to, um, I go to Manhattan and train at Hensel Gracie. Now, you said you're a bartender, and I'm sure you have a slew of stories we can get through. But first, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll we'll get into uh, your previous life as well and what you want to accomplish in your UFC career moving forward. So let's take a quick break, Clayton, and we'll be right back after this. Okay, sounds great. You're listening to Time Out with Manu Kakopian. And welcome back, everyone. We are joined again by Caitlin Chugakian, who uh, on February 8th will be fighting Valentina Shevchenko for the UFC Flyweight Championship uh, live on UFC 247 from the Toyota Center in Houston. Uh, Caitlin is an MMA fighter who, with a great record of 13-2, and two, and she will be the co-feature to the John Jones-Dominic Reyes light heavyweight title fight. And Caitlin, again, uh, kind of continuing on where we picked off, <laughs> you said you were a bartender before you fully committed yourself as an MMA fighter. I'm sure you saw a lot of fights in the bar before you actually transitioned out of it. Yeah, um, a little bit. I, I kind of, um, being close to New York City, I, I bartended at like a nightclub, so it was always pretty, a little crazy. Um, and it was kind of funny that, um, you know, a lot of the, the bouncers and security that worked at um, at the place that I worked at, a lot of them trained jujitsu and, and MMA with me. So, like, you know, I knew a lot of them. And um, sometimes if there was like, you know, a drunk girl in the, in the bathroom and the guys can't go in they're like Caitlin you got to go in and get her and I'm like no I'm I'm like I'm a bartender I'm not that's not my job but like they all knew me so they knew that I could like could handle it and they're like well we can't go in there we don't want to like have to like get the girl to kick kick her out and stuff so they would like make me go in and get her but I'm so like not confrontational I would go in and be like hey girl how are you all right let's we got to go out you know I wouldn't be like the total opposite of what people would think like a fighter would kick someone out I love it you you were there any ever instances where you just threw him over your shoulder like an opponent and had to carry him out that way no I probably could sometimes you know there would be some you know some drunk guys that I would want to do that but like (laughs) I said I'm like I'm like the worst like real life fighter I'm like never been in a real fight I'm not confrontational I like oh I hate that stuff so like like, all my friends are like, you're the worst fighter. You can't do anything. I'm like, because I don't want to. I don't have to. So so you have a switch, I'm assuming, like most fighters, where you can just turn it on and off and you go into fight mode? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me that. They're like, how do you just get, how do you fight? I would like, oh, I'm like, well, I don't look at it as like a fight. I look at it as a sport. So, you know, it's like, to me, it's like asking, like, a basketball player like man how do you how do you play on game day like because it's game day that's what you're supposed to do that's what you practice for you know but um to me like I totally I think I just look at it as a sport the same way you know football players look at football soccer anything else like I look at like that's what I'm doing I don't look at it as I'm fighting someone Mm -hmm. we're obviously you know um 
people are confrontational. Were you ever, are you in ever in a situation where someone doesn't know you're a fighter and they're somehow trying to pick a fight with you and you have to, you know, play, play nice and be to take the other route? Um, fortunately I haven't really ever been in that situation. I think I'm just not, you know, I think it's a little bit easier being a girl. I think some of the guy fighters have a tendency to be in those situations a little bit more. I mean, Sometimes, like, when me and my husband go places, everyone thinks he, they're like, oh, are you a fighter? Because he has cauliflower ear, and he'll be like, no, but she is. And they're like, they they don't, if they don't know me, they don't understand, and they think he's, like, messing with them. They're like, no, I know you're a fighter. She's obviously not, she's not a fighter. And he goes, no, she is. I'm not. <laughs> so that's the only time that people, like, don't think I'm, you know, don't expect it. But uh, fortunately, I, I, I try not to put myself in any, like, confrontational situations. I've been good so far. Yeah, and recently you got married in September of 2019. How has that new uh, newfound path in life been treating you? Oh, yeah, it's it's been amazing. I actually, um, you know, I fought in June, and then I got offered the UFC title fight um, against Valentina, and they offered it to me September 7th, but my wedding was September 8th, so I had to make the decision to to decline the title shot and, you know, keep my wedding. I mean, granted, it was like eight weeks notice, so it's not like it's kind of hard to cancel a wedding on eight weeks notice. And um, so, like, you know, after that, and then I knew, okay, if I don't take this title fight, I might have to take another fight before the title, which I ended up doing. But um, I couldn't be happier with my decision. And, you know, some people were like, what? it's a UFC title opportunity. You should take that. You shouldn't, you know, you can get married whenever and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it's easy to say for other people, but, um, you know, my whole life has been fighting and competing in martial arts. And I think there is true value in having a life outside of that because, you know, this is such a small window of your life and, you know, the rest of your life is important too. So, you know, I think if you're happy with your life outside of, outside of the gym and everything's good there, then it only boosts your, your career and your mentality and how you perform physically. So yeah, I, um, you know, I'm just super happy with that and it makes everything else a little bit easier. Talk about a tough decision, getting offered a title fight right before your wedding. I'm sure. Was that an easy decision for you to make or did you have to actually sleep on it? Um, you know, right away I, you know, my manager had called me and was like, good news and bad news. Good news, they want you to fight for the title. Bad news, it's the day before your wedding. And, like, we had told, you know, UFC's a little ruthless in that sense where, you know, we're like, oh, that's the day before her wedding. And they're like, oh, man, we understand. Okay, let us know by the end of the day. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought that, that kind of was my answer, you know. And, you know, I don't they weren't upset with my decision. They understood, but I had to take another fight, which, you know, there's a chance you're fighting top people in MMA. It's so, it's so easy to, to lose in MMA, you know, like in boxing for the most part, I feel like the better fighter wins, but in MMA, it's not always like that. You know, there's so many like opportunities for someone to, where someone could be losing the whole time and they land a shot. You're wearing four ounce gloves or, you make one little mistake and they sink in a submission. And, you know, so a lot of people would, you know, in my situation would be like, you don't want to risk taking another fight and losing and then you don't get the title fight. But I just kind of was super positive And I was just like, listen, if I, 
if I take another fight and I can't beat whoever it is, then I can't beat Valentina for the title. So, you know, it's just more experience for me and, you know, and, and I get to be happy and do what I want to do. You know, what if I canceled my wedding and took the title fight and then, you know, I rolled my ankle two weeks before the fight and then I canceled the fight. I mean, that happens all the time. People get injured. So now I canceled my wedding and cance- and I had to pull out of the title fight or what if Valentina got hurt during camp or something, you know, that happens a lot. So it wasn't very, a tough decision for me. I knew that I earned my spot for a title shot and, you know, I knew that if I had to prove it again, I could. And, you know, it's just the only thing that put it back, it put it back a couple months, got me another fight, got me more experience. And in the end, you know, I got to have my wedding. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, safe to say it all worked out, and you actually married uh, someone who is has a prominent role in mixed martial arts, and Kyle Sermonera. How did you guys meet? Uh, we actually met on Instagram. <laughs> uh, Where everyone meets in 2020, like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like So uh, we met on Instagram. He, I was living in New Jersey, and he was living in Long Island, and um, yeah, we kind of did that somewhat of a long uh, that distance for you know for about three years before before we got married and um but yeah he coaches he's a wrestling coach and you know he wrestled at university of buffalo and then the olympic training center for a couple years so it it's a really good dynamic because he he doesn't compete now but he um he coaches a couple other fighters and um and he trains jujitsu and wrestling, but so he understands what it's like to compete at, a, at the highest level because he did that with with wrestling. Um, but it's kind of I think it would be hard if both of us were competing in MMA at the same time. You know, it's a it's a very like selfish sport, and it'd be, it, it's pretty hard to have. It's hard enough to have one person in the household doing it. Having two it would be be quite a handful. So you know, I'm lucky that he understands and he supports me as you know as much as he can and you know, that really helps me out a lot. Yeah. And obviously understanding your mindset. I mean, at the end of the day, you're both fighters, you're both, uh, athletes and competitors. I'm sure, I'm sure if you married a lawyer or an accountant, they wouldn't have the same mindset as you do as a fighter. So it's, I'm def, I'm sure the support system is definitely there for you, but you know, for fans who perhaps have not seen you fight yet, how would you describe your fighting style? Um, I would describe my style as uh, super technical. Um, you know, in the UFC, all, all my, not all of them, but most of my fights have been, for the most part, stand-up striking. So I think that, you know, everyone assumes I'm, I'm a striker. But um, I think that's just kind of the way my UFC fights have gone. But uh, I'm definitely well-rounded. I have a brown belt, a Henzo Gracie brown belt. My jiu-jitsu is very high-level. Um and I'm a, my striking style is very technical. You know, I don't get hit very as much as my other opponents. You know, some people that aren't really aware of, have never watched MMA or any striking or boxing, you know, they might think that my style is boring compared to, like, two guys that are just slugging and, like, killing each other. But, you know, for me, if you're a real, you know, if you follow the sports or boxing or kickboxing and you know, like, I'm a very technical fighter, I move a lot, I have a lot of head head movement, footwork, and I like to, a high-volume striker. I like to hit a lot and get out, you know, try not to get hit is the, is the main goal for me. You know, I might not be 
super entertaining for a casual fan that doesn't know much, but for my longevity of my life, it's, it's, it's good for me. So, yeah. No, absolutely. And you got to go back to the Floyd mental Floyd Mayweather mantra. It's uh, hit and not get hit. So, you know, exactly. It, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> you're, 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 you're trying to, you, you're trying to stay as photogenic as you can the next day possible without a black eye or any cuts. And, you know, uh, speaking of photogenic, you're really proud of your blonde hair. That's the, that's your, your nickname, the blonde fighter. Where, wh- how have you kind of lived up to that mantra and how do you own it? Um, it's kind of funny. Like people ask me like, where did that name come from? And I remember like when I was in college and my friends were like talking about Instagram and this was before it was super popular. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand. And I, I didn't, I thought it was like silly. I'm like, this is so weird. Like I thought it was just my, you know, my girlfriend's talking about it. I'm like, no one's going to use this. And, and, uh, and I'm like, so it's like Facebook, but you only post one picture. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. How, why would you use that? And then of course they convinced me to get one and I used it. And I was just real quick. I was like, Oh, I had to make a username. I don't know. Uh, I want something with fighting, but something that's kind of girly. I was like, uh, and I just thought of blonde fighter. And I was like, I didn't think much of it because I was like, I'm never going to use this anyway. So I was just like, okay, I'll just make an account just so I can see what this is. And then, so I made it. And then, you know, then obviously Instagram became like everything in the world. So I had it and then I just kind of stuck. Like I never changed it. And then I noticed people started calling me blonde fighter like in the gym and then I would hear people say all the time they're like uh what's your like I've known you for like a couple months like I don't even know your name like I know you're I just call you blonde fighter I don't actually know your real name and I think that for what you know it somehow it ended up sticking and that's just what people everyone calls me blonde fighter or bf like even my like my husband will call when he's talking about me with his friends they all they all call me blonde fighter it just kind of stuck. So whether it's like I really wanted it or not, it just it just stuck, and I'm kind of riding with it. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you know, I'm sure growing up, you know, people usually take blondes and they say, "Oh, blondes are this or blondes are that." But you've used it to your advantage by building a marketing yeah. mantra out of it. Yeah, I just can't. Um, I can't dye my hair, so that's on, that's only downside of it. But that's okay. <laughs> Right, right. Now, going back to Valentina, I know this is going to be the toughest test of your career. Um, what is the game plan as far as fighting Valentina in February? Have you been doing anything different in this camp to kind of prepare yourself for this big test? Um, you know, I've been preparing for this fight the same way I kind of have for my all my other fights. I mean, I've had success with how I trained for fights you know even like fights where I didn't win it wasn't you know because of lack of ability it was just you know they were both really close split decisions and you know I just kind of all my fights I make adjustments I watch my opponent whoever I'm fighting kind of see what their tendencies are what they're good at things that can work but for me my mindset's always kind of like you know definitely focus on your opponent and worry about what you need to for that fight but more so focus on myself because I think that puts me in a more offensive mindset. If you're constantly worrying about what the other opponent is, you know, then you're just putting yourself automatically in defense mode. Um, But that being said, you still need to be prepared for everything. And especially with um, a fighter like Valentina, she's definitely one of my um, 
the definitely probably my strongest strongest opponents and the most technical opponent I've fought. So I'm definitely trying to um, spar partners that can mimic her style. Whereas before, if someone couldn't mimic, didn't mimic my the, my opponent's style that much, it wasn't wasn't as big of a deal. But this being the title, you want to try to do everything right. So um, definitely making sure I spar far lefties that kind of you know it's hard to mimic anyone's style they can mimic her as much as possible but there's only one Valentina so you know do the best you can and um but other than that I've been kind of preparing it the same way this is a a five-round fight but I before the UFC I fought three five-round fights before so you know I'm super comfortable with that I'm just adding a couple extra rounds on sparring days and doing a little bit extra push on my my circuit trainings but other than that i'm pretty much doing the same thing as i do for all my other fights because that seems to be what works best for me i you know i don't think just because it's a title fight you want to change too much if if what's been working for you works for you yeah and you know uh judging by the conversation and knowing from your your previous fights as well too you're you're pretty even keeled not much rattles you uh what where do you get that sense of calm and not letting the the moment get too big um you know without like sometimes like people are like oh you're fighting for a title how do you feel i'm like i don't know i mean i'm definitely excited i'm not trying to downplay it but it just feels like any other fight every fight that i have is a is a bigger fight than the last there's a bigger fight than the last so it's the same each fight there's that this fight's bigger than the last one this fight's bigger than the last one so i mean i definitely feel that but i'm you know trying not to let the pressure of it being a title fight because title fight or not it it is just another fight you know it's just has that name as a title fight and I kind of like I said my goal was to be here so I kind of always envisioned myself fighting for the title so like you know without sounding cocky like I'm not shocked or it's not I didn't surprise myself by being here I this is where I saw myself when I had my first amateur fight you know when I fought in like a high school, like a random little high school in Philadelphia. Like I knew that I would be here fighting on pay-per-view for the title. So like I, I saw this coming for so many years. So I'm not like over, I'm not as overwhelmed by it. And, um, but you never know. Like when I went for like last month, I went for the press conference and, and I was like, okay, well, I wonder if I'm going to, this is going to be that moment where I'm like, Oh man, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm here. And, you know, I just kind of felt like it was for any other fight, and I think that that's a blessing. You know, you'd want to stay as calm. You know, obviously you get nervous for every fight, but right now I'm just training and trying to do my best, and I think that I really think that, you know, being happy in your life and having things outside of fighting that make you happy and complete you is makes it easier to stay calm in there because at the end of the day, it's a sport. It's fun. I get to do what I love. You know, is it the the whole world now. Sorry, my dog. My dog is barking. What kind of a dog is it? Uh, a French bulldog. French bulldog. Uh, do you have any other pets? No, just my, just him. He's a, he's enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, how about? Yeah, you know, just being being happy in your life. It makes the fight. I mean, there's no pressure on me for the fight. How about any other additions to your family? Obviously, it's it's surely difficult to be a woman fighter and uh, putting your career first. 
do you how long do you plan on fighting before uh starting a family of your own um you know with the timing wise of being fighting for the title it definitely makes things a, a little different you know if i was you know, not in the UFC right now, you know, I just turned 31. If I wasn't in the UFC right now, then I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be fighting. I would just be training for fun and I'd probably start a family. But, you know, that's the difficult part about being a female fighter, you know, because if I was a, a male fighter and I was just married and 31, you know, it'd be like, yeah, let's, ha let's, let's have kids. But, you know, unfortunately I don't have, have that, uh, that ability, but, um, you know, I'm trying to see where the career goes. And then, um, but, you know, as soon as my whole goal in life is to be a UFC champion. So we'll see, you know, I, I win February 8th and then we'll see how I feel. If I want to do a couple more fights, you know, if I, you see how I feel Monday when I get home with the belt. If I want to do a couple more fights and I'll do that. And, um, you know, my husband's super supportive and, wants me to be happy but you know if I feel like okay this is enough then I'll start moving on to the next chapter of my life because that's that's you know winning the world title and then and then starting a family are like my two biggest goals in life and again you're days away from making that a reality Caitlin Chugakian will be fighting Valentina Shevchenko on February 8th at the Toyota Center in Houston it'll air live uh, for UFC 247 uh, Caitlin is the number one contender currently in the women's flyweight division with a great record of 13 and two. And the fight will be the co-feature on the pay-per-view for John Jones and Dominic Reyes. Caitlin, thank you very much for taking the time. Good luck to you on February 8th. And I'm sure MMA fans and all of your Armenian fans will be tuning in to helping you see if your dreams of becoming a UFC champion will become a reality. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Caitlin. Good luck, and we'll be hopefully speaking soon with you being a UFC champion. Yeah, we'll have to do the, um, the title defense maybe in Los Angeles. Count me in on that one. <laughs> All right, sounds great.